What's up, church? Good morning. How's everybody doing today? It's good. My name's Ryan. I'm the worship and spiritual life pastor here at Abundant Life. Pastors John and Kristen are gone this week. They're uh, at a wedding in Minnesota, so we pray they get back safely. But turn your Bibles with me to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. And if you're watching us online today, we greet you. Come on. Give a shout out to the people online. What's up online, folks? Last week we had something like 220 people hanging out with us online. That was pretty cool. So we greet you. Good morning. And I wish I was in my sweatpants right now, if that's where you're at. Um, Before I get into my message today, I wanted to update you all on some stuff that's been going on with me. Back in June, Pastor John had called the church to pray for me. I had been going through uh, some pretty serious heart issues and thyroid issues, and I um, was very grateful to have my church family surround me with love and with prayers, and, and I even got some notes and some encouragement, things like that, but wanted to let you know I had a procedure done this past Monday, and um, my heart for the last seven days has been beating in normal rhythm, and that's very exciting, yes, very excited to share that. You know, um, I'm 35, and when you hear things like um, high risk for heart attack and heart failure and um, other things like that, it can be pretty scary. Uh, People have asked me throughout these last five months, you know, how I've been doing and, you know, how are you handling all that and stuff. And my response has consistently been, and I can say it today, just as much as I could every other day along this journey, and that's God never fails. God never fails. And maybe you need to hear that today. God never fails, and God still heals. He still heals. And uh, it feels good to take deep breaths. I haven't been able to take a deep breath for quite some time, so it feels good to kind of stand here today and, uh, you know, stuff you just take for granted. But God heals, and he never fails. Amen? So we're in part four of the This Is Us series. Uh, Week one, pastors John and Chris had talked about loving your neighbor uh, it was great. Week two, they talked about marriage. And even if you're not married, I mean, if you're married, especially if you missed that message, definitely check it out. But if you're not, I would still encourage you to check it out because um, there's some great stuff in there. Week three, last week, Pastor Mike talked about forgiveness and reconciliation. And uh, you can check out the live stream replays on our website. You can listen to the podcast. We definitely encourage you to check those out. But today I wanted to talk to you about the family. And specifically, the establishment of restoration and healing and honor and unity in the family. You know, the show This Is Us, I think it's so successful because of how relatable it is. And I I know that not everybody watches that show. I watch that show religiously, and that's kind of a weird word to say in church. But, like, you know, my wife and I, it's it's on our calendar. That's, that's, That's how serious we are about it. Hey, what do you guys got? Ooh, mm, you know, we're actually not available that night. Got something really important we got to do. Um, Packers games, and then this is us. I'm not, I'm not sorry. But um, <laughs> the show's entertaining, but I personally love the show because of how relatable the characters are. I feel like I can connect with all the characters, at least in some way. And you'd see the Pearson family, and they're, they've got pretty much everything on display. The good, the bad and the ugly. And, um, and I'm not going to spend this whole morning talking about the show or that family because I don't want you to check out and be like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about. But um, I think 
that we can all connect with some of the emotions and the themes of this show and of any good story. You know, if you've ever enjoyed a movie or a book or a show, the good things like commitment, love, and loyalty, the bad things like jealousy, favoritism, perfectionism, but then there's also ugly things like addiction and lying and deception. And I think every single one of us can connect with some of these things. So whether it's in the capacity of this show or any other show or movie or something else that you might find either in a book, we can all connect with those things. Um, you know, if you had a childhood, it all like mine, um, that included brokenness and divorce, especially you can identify with something like a show like This Is Us. Um, things in families, it can get pretty ugly, and I think most of us aren't strangers to that, but um, the idea of restoration, the idea of unity and peace being established, at least coming from those circumstances, it, it seems pretty impossible. Um, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it seems that way. Um, but I'm thankful because God can make impossible things possible. Amen? I feel like God wants us to know today, no matter how broken we are, no matter how messed up we are or broken or messed up our families are, that God can bring healing and restoration and unity back into our lives, into our marriages, and into our families. And Pastor Mike talked last week about reconciliation and forgiveness, and those are great things. They're biblically-based things, definitely things that you want to engage in, but I wanted to talk today about restoration because it's a step further in the process. Because we reconcile with people all the time, you know, maybe you have a fight or a disagreement, we reconcile, um, but oftentimes people part ways after that. It could be in your own life, and we've seen it in the movies for sure. Um, yeah, I forgive you, but I don't really want to stay with you anymore. Um, we just don't have to look beyond the divorce rate really to see that that's how people are. And sometimes even those differences are irreconcilable as we see in a lot of the paperwork. But reconciliation, restoration, they're two equally important but very different things. And I think it's important for us to identify what restoration is and what God can do through it. Because no matter where we've come from, no matter how dire the circumstances, no matter how impossible it may seem, God is in the restoration business. He is. And God wants to restore that which has been lost. John 10.10, 10, one of my favorite scripture verses. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us abundant life. And I like this in the message. It says, a life better than you've ever dreamed possible. That's what Christ came. And so we know the enemy came to take things away from us, but Christ came to restore things to us. That was why he came, and that's what he did, and that's why we even celebrated communion today. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God wants to move people and families from shame to grace. And God wants to move people and families from bondage to freedom, from brokenness to healing, and from harm to hope because God can turn the harmful into the hopeful. Amen? So I want to draw your attention to another family, and this family is from Scripture. That's the family of Jacob. You may have heard of Jacob, at least in the context of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, 
that's referenced a lot in scriptures. And Jacob uh, was how the nation of Israel started. God actually changed Jacob's name to Israel. And it was through his 12 sons that the 12 tribes of Israel were established. And so just like every other family in history, and we're going to see it here, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad, and there's mostly ugly in this story, but we're no stranger to that. But about this story in particular and these characters, it has a God-sized ending. And in the world in which we live, we need God-sized miracles and God-sized endings. Can I get an amen? So Genesis 37, verse 2, if you're there, say, "Uh uh-huh. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zippah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, I'm going to insert some kind of footnotes here as we go along the way. This can kind of sound like Joseph was a tattletale of some sorts, but that's not really what it was. We know that Joseph was a man of good character. He was honorable. He was a do-gooder, if you will. Um, but not for the sake of being a do-gooder, but because he wanted to be honorable. He wanted to be a person of character. And Joseph didn't simply want to just tell on his brothers, but Jacob would often send Joseph out to report back on what his brothers were doing because Jacob knew. I mean, parents know their kids. When your kids aren't at home and they're out and about doing whatever, they're probably doing things they wouldn't normally do at home. And so sometimes it's good to keep tabs. You know, they didn't have smartphones with GPS trackers back then, and, you know, they couldn't put a lock on Facebook and, you know, cable TV and those things. So, you know, Jacob, he had the next best thing. That was Joseph, and so he sent him out. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, you might be wondering why Joseph was the favorite And I'll get to that in a minute. But something else I want to kind of bring our attention to here, and that is how kind of messed up this family is. Okay, here in these like two verses that we've just read, we see Jacob, he has two wives, Leah and Rachel, but then he also has two baby mama named Bilhah and Zilpah. What's up with that? (laughs) Seriously, guaranteed if this happened today, this family would have been on the Jerry Springer show. There's no question about it. You'd have Jacob sitting on the couch with Leah on one side, Rachel on the other. You'd have Jerry kind of interviewing them and talking to them. There'd be a maternity test probably because there's like 12 sons involved. It doesn't even include the daughters. Like, whose is it? I don't know. What's going on? You got Bilha and Zilpah off in the back just waiting for their time to come out on stage and just like, hey, yo, that son is mine. That's my son. You got little John trying to hold him back there. The crowd's going, oh, Jerry, Jerry, what is happening here? Why do you have four wives? Why are these two, what, what? (laughs) This is crazy. So we're not even into like the story, but we see how kind of broken and separated and fractured this family is. They don't even all share, these brothers don't even share the same mother. This is already like stank face ugly. (laughs) I don't really watch those shows, but I'm sure if you were flipping through and something came on, you've made those faces before. Like, ooh. That's this situation. Jacob, he has two wives and he has kids with two other. Ooh, what? But you look at Joseph. Here's why he was his favorite. 
Jacob was 91 when Joseph was born. Now, Joseph wasn't the youngest. He was 11th in the 12. Um, But Joseph was his favorite. If you're a parent, you know that's not what you want to do. You don't want to tell people they're your favorite. The reason why he was his favorite, though, is because his oldest brother, Reuben, he gave up his birthright. He sinned against God. He sinned against his dad. He sacrificed his birthright. So who gets the benefits of being the firstborn? Well, Jacob decided Joseph got it, and his brothers despised him for that, literally hated him for that. And it's not right, but it's just what he did. And we'll see that in spite of what Joseph may have done or said to maintain honor and to be honorable in everything that he did, sometimes bad things happen to good people, and I know you and I are no stranger to that. So let's pick it up again here in verse 3. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't even say a kind word to him. And one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Joseph had another dream. And then again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Joseph is not gloating. You know, he's not like, hey, I had these dreams bow before me. He wasn't trying to pose himself or position himself above them. He was just sharing what was going on. But it's like it didn't matter what he could do. I mean, he probably knew this sounded ridiculous. Why would they bow to him? But it didn't matter what he did or what he said. His brothers, they continued to hate him more with everything that he said. So one day, we fast forward a little bit, we see Jacob sends Joseph to again go check out what his brothers are doing, seeing what kind of riffraff they're getting into. We'll pick it up in verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and we can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. I mean, let's pause here for a moment. Reuben is the same firstborn son. Like, if anybody should hate Joseph, it should be this guy. And we know his brothers hated him, but still, even in the midst of the brokenness and the grief that this guy had gone through, having given up his birthright, he still had compassion on Joseph. And I love that, because that in and of itself is a redemption story. We can be angry We could feel that things were owed to us. We could feel passed over. We could feel sinful or shameful, but none of us are excluded from being part of God's plan to save and to show love and to show compassion. Isn't that awesome? I love that. So when Joseph arrived, verse 23, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, and then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. 
There's a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. And when he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. And then he went back to his brothers, lamented, the boy is gone. What will I do now? And I'm sure if you're a parent, maybe you've thought about selling your kids off to somebody else. How much can we get for this one? This one's really cute, though. Uh, how much can we get for this one? Or maybe if you're a sibling, maybe you have thought about that, you know? Like, I mean, I love my brother, but I really want a new PlayStation. And um, this is not okay. This is not cool. So they sold him into slavery. Verse 31, then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. Then they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? They didn't even have the decency to take the robe to their dad themselves. Not only that, they didn't say, is this our brother's robe? Or is this Joseph's robe? They said, is this your son's robe? Even after selling him into slavery, they completely disowned him as if he was gone. There's so much hate. There's so much strife. There's so much disunity. There's so much splintering and fracturing just between these brothers. And they conjure this lie to cover up their own sin and what they have done. And we see Jacob grieving, and he's very, very sad tears his clothes when he recognizes the robe. He mourns deeply for a long time. Verse 35 said his family tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. This family has all sorts of ugly, stank face ugly. But I think every single person right now that's hearing this story can identify with at least one or more characters from the story. Because we've all played favorites. We've all been angry. We've all been jealous. We've all been vengeful. We've all lied. We've all had ill thoughts and feelings towards other people, especially those in our family, right? I mean, we've all done that. We've all dealt with these things, and either we have now or we all will at some point deal with the pain of grief and loss, just like Jacob did. But here's something else to consider. Every single one of us is a Joseph. Every single one of us is a Joseph. We are all dreamers. We've all wanted what's best for us and wanted to give our best to God and want what's best for our family. We all aspire to greatness and to good things and to be pleasing to God and how we live our lives, you know. But just like Joseph, we've all been mistreated. We've all been bullied. We've all been lied to. We've been lied about. But what's so great about this story and about Joseph is that this chapter, the end of this chapter, 37, is not the last chapter in this book. And it's not the last chapter in Joseph's life. This is just the beginning. 
And we see over the next several chapters of how God was able to give Joseph favor and blessing even in the midst of being a slave and a broken man. If you skip ahead a few chapters, you see that Joseph was given favor in the household in which he was a slave. He was put in command over the entire household and he oversaw all of the slaves and all the work that was being done. And even in being honorable, he got thrown in jail, being falsely accused of some things. But even there, he continued to maintain life and honor and to show love. You fast forward a couple of chapters later and you see Joseph now meeting Pharaoh, the most powerful man of the most powerful country in the entire world. And because of Joseph continuing to maintain honor, God did an impossible thing. You see, Joseph, at this point, when he meets Pharaoh, he'd been a slave for 13 years. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery, and now he's 30 years old. I know every single one of us has been hurt by somebody in some way, and we've carried that hurt with us for a long time. Maybe it's years. Maybe it's decades. Somebody hurt us. They did that to me. They did that to my mom or to my dad. Or this situation happened. Joseph didn't sit around as a slave and seek justice and vengeance. He simply just trusted God. He honored God and he honored the position that he was in. And I feel like I have to ask you today. I know that we've all been hurt. We're no stranger to that. But how are you responding in your pain, in your feelings of abandonment or betrayal. I know that they said those things about you. I know that they did that to you. But how are you responding? See, Joseph did it God's way. And we look here, when he finally meets Pharaoh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. The Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand. He placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. God moved Joseph from a position of slavery into a position of authority. Because Joseph honored God through his pain. Yes, he was falsely accused. Yes, he was falsely imprisoned and sold into slavery. But he honored God. He responded in kind. He behaved as God would have him. And instead of continuing to maintain an identity associated with that hurt and that brokenness, God exalted him. He was the second in command of the most powerful nation on planet Earth. If we fast forward nine years, we see that a famine had come across the land and Joseph had prepared the nation of Egypt. The entire area, I mean countries, nations are in a famine, they're experiencing famine. Nobody has food. Nobody has anything. But because of God's favor and blessing, Joseph had prepared his country. So not only were they already powerful, now they're even more so the most powerful because they have the most resources. So we look at this. 
Joseph's 39 now, so it's been 22 years, and who comes knocking on Joseph's door for food? But his brothers. His brothers come asking for food. Now, they think Joseph's dead. They haven't seen him. They probably assume he has, but for the last 22 years, they've had to deal with the guilt and the shame associated with the fact that they sold their brother into slavery. They essentially killed him. That's the kind of sin and the kind of burden that none of us really ever want to carry, but they had carried this hurt for decades. Not only that, Joseph had carried the pain of being the recipient of those feelings and that hatred for decades. Joseph, at this point, is the second in command over the most powerful nation in the earth. He literally had the authority to kill his brothers where they stood, and no one would have even given it a thought. He didn't even have to give a reason He could have just said, kill every single one of them. He probably had the right to. I mean, didn't he? They betrayed him. They hated him. They took away decades of his life. But I love how Joseph responded here. He forgave his brothers. He forgave them. We see Joseph multiple times here in in, these chapters with his brothers. I mean, he can't even keep himself composed. He's not sure if he wants to reveal himself to his brothers. He has to exit the room and he just goes and weeps uncontrollably because he's overwhelmed with emotions. Of course he's overwhelmed with emotions. Decades are flashing before his very eyes. He's thinking about every time he was beaten and whipped as a slave, thinking about all the years spent in prison. He was his father's favorite. And then that's what he got as a result of his brother's hatred. Decades of emotions overwhelmed him, and still he was able to compose himself enough to speak to his brothers, show them who he really was, and show compassion, and he forgave them. And what's more, the news of this reunion eventually made it to Pharaoh, and this is where things get good. Because if you think about the entirety of Joseph's life and of this family's life, There is something that this family has never had. They've never had this, ever, in all the years. And that is unity. They've never had it from the very beginning. We've got Jacob with multiple wives. We've got kids fighting with each other, giving up their birthright. We've got brothers hating each other and selling themselves into slavery. I'm just going to go ahead and sell my brother because I don't like him anymore. I mean, how many of us do that, right? Well, I don't like you anymore, so I'm getting out of this marriage. I don't want to put up with this anymore, so I'm done with you. I'm writing you off. I don't like what happened at that church, so I'm leaving. This person hurt me, so I'm writing them off. We all do that. This family had done that for decades, and they have never up until now, understood or experienced what true peace and unity was. It had never been established. But Joseph, in the midst of the strife and the bitterness that I'm sure he felt, humbled himself and forgave. And in honoring and forgiving and reconciling with his brothers, God restored this very thing to them that they had never had, unity and peace. This is what is at the heart of restoration. We can reconcile and forgive, but God wants to give us things we didn't even know we were missing out on. That's what God wanted to do. 
Jesus said in Mark 3, 24 and 25, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. This family was splintered. It was surrounded by pain and bitterness and evil things. Let's be honest. God knows we're going to fight. He knows that we're going to hurt each other because we're imperfect. We're full of flaws. He knows we're going to say things we shouldn't. He knows how broken and sinful we are. He knows we're going to make mistakes. But he also knew that reconciliation without restoration, it falls short of his perfect plan. It falls short of his absolute best. And this is where you and I need to shift our perspective because all we see is our pain, but God sees our potential. He sees the potential for healing and restoration. God sees opportunity to bring blessings that are far greater than we've ever thought possible. Yes, indeed, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ came to give us a life that is full, abundantly full and abundantly blessed. How blessed? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Fast forward a couple of chapters here. In Genesis 45, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Why would they be pleased? They don't know these people. They don't know. Now you and I, something else that we do that we shouldn't is air out other people's dirty laundry. Do you think if Joseph... Now, he's second in command, right? He gets to to get the audience of the Pharaoh whenever he wants. Do you think in the nine years that he was in that position, if he had said to Pharaoh, here's what my family did to me, do you don't think Pharaoh would have just killed him for him? Why would Pharaoh be pleased? That doesn't make sense, right? They did what to you? If they ever stepped foot in this country, right? I mean, he's Pharaoh. But he didn't. He was pleased. Church, why was he pleased? Joseph never even mentioned it to him. He never said anything about it. Yet we're so eager to go tell this person and that person about what so-and-so did to me. Do you understand what they did to me? Validate me. Vindicate me. I want vengeance and justice, right? They did this. Be mad with me. Do you know what you're doing in that moment? Not only are you robbing yourself of the opportunity for restoration in God's best, but you're robbing that person of being able to see a real miracle take place. Pharaoh was pleased. Not only that, Pharaoh said, take these carts, take these wagons. Take these new clothes. Here's some money. Here's some food. Go back and get your family and come here. And I love this. He says, never mind about your belongings. You can leave everything behind because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. The best of all of Egypt will be yours. Not only was Pharaoh pleased, but Pharaoh was able to provide for his family that had nothing 
and they deserved nothing. But you know what they got because of Joseph's obedience and honor? Everything. They literally got everything. What's the best that you can imagine your life could be? If it's the most powerful nation in the world and you have the audience of the most powerful man in the world and he says, anything that is here belongs to you, you cannot do any better. And they deserved none of it. Not a single dime, not a single ounce of food. But they got it anyways because Joseph responded in honor. And he responded in a way that would establish something his family had never had. And that is unity. That's peace. It's healing. God sees your pain. He knows what you've been through. He knows what has happened. He's not a stranger to it. But how are you going to respond? Are you going to continue to be bitter? Are you going to continue to speak poorly about that person? Are you going to continue to say things that you know you shouldn't say? Or are you going to honor God and somehow within that believe that the very best that is offered to them, the very best that God can give to them is available and it's available to you as well because you better believe that Joseph was more thrilled than anyone. He was more thrilled than anyone. And here's why. Because he was able to go to Pharaoh and ask him, for the best of the entire land that Egypt had to offer. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, choose in any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live and give them the best land of Egypt. He didn't just give them the best cars. He didn't give them the nice house. He didn't give them the bling bling. He didn't give him just the best tasting food. I mean, those are all good things. But he said, you know what? The best land in this entire country is yours. It's yours. Joseph was able to request that from the Pharaoh. And they were able to receive literally the best that they could ever have. And as much as that was a blessing for Joseph's family, I can tell you, it was a blessing for Joseph. But it's bigger than this. Because if you continue reading here, you see the entire nation of Egypt was blessed. The entire nation of Egypt was blessed, church. The entire nation. We have the most powerful nation in the world. What could they possibly need? You know what they didn't have? The blessing and the favor of God. And do you know how they got it? Through forgiveness and healing and restoration in the family of Jacob. Because of Joseph's willingness to continue to remain honorable and faithful, to seek restoration and healing and forgiveness, an entire nation of people was blessed. They received the favor of God. So we're here this morning. We're praying for unity in our own country. But I encourage you to look into your own household. Is there unity in your house? Is there unity in your family? Is there unity in your marriage? Because we can't ask God to bring unity to a country if we're not establishing unity right here where it matters most. It's not going to happen, church. It's not going to happen. God wants to bless us. 
He wants to bless our families, and I believe today God wants to bless the United States of America. But if it's going to happen, it's got to start with you and me. It has to start with you and me. You and I, we're all Joseph's in our pain because we've all been hurt. We've all been betrayed. We're all Joseph's in our pain, but I believe through God, we can all be Joseph's in our restoration and we can all be Joseph's in our healing because Joseph's pain, it was the beginning but his healing, his restoration and the establishment of peace and unity in his family and in the nation of Egypt, that is the God-sized ending. I am confident he didn't think 22 years prior as he was sitting in that cistern that this would ever be the result. But look what God did. Look what God did. And so I have to ask you today, are you willing to bring your pain? Are you willing to bring your hurt and your brokenness to God in such a way that not only can he establish healing in your heart, but he can establish restoration in your family, in your marriage, in that relationship in this church and in this nation. Don't let your pain be the last chapter in your life. Let's bow our heads together. God is able to exchange the ugly for the beautiful. He's able to heal and make whole. God is able to reconcile and restore. Now today, I know there might be some of you here or maybe you're listening online and you know that you're not even reconciled and restored in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We partook of communion today. Jesus reconciled us to God and Psalm 51 says that he can restore to us the joy of salvation. God knows our pain. He sees our pain, but he wants to bring about a joy a supernatural joy that supersedes the pain that you and I feel. So I just got to ask today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, if you're hearing my voice and you're saying, Pastor Ryan, I want to be made right with God. I want to be reconciled to God. I want healing and restoration in my relationship with God. Would you just slip your hand up in the air right now? Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand up in the balcony. Thank you. I see those hands in the back. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you very much. Anybody else? I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see you. Thank you. Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus 
made a way for us to be reconciled to God. He made a way for us to be restored and healed. But if we confess and believe, then we are saved. So I'm just going to ask right now that we pray this prayer together and that you all repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. I confess that I need a Savior. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you're alive again. And I believe that you can restore my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We need to give God praise. I don't even know how many people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise God. I know we're over our time this morning. I just, before I dismiss you, I want to give you the opportunity. If you'd like us to pray with you, I'm going to go ahead and have the ministry team come forward. If you'd like us to pray with you, maybe you need restoration in your heart or in your marriage, or maybe you need restoration in your family. Maybe you need to stand in the gap. Maybe you need to come and release your pain and your bitterness. Maybe you need to just give it up to God and believe for restoration. We want to believe with you. So the ministry team, go ahead and come forward. If you'd like us to pray with you, you can come and pray with us. We'd love to pray with you. And for those of you that slipped up your hand just now, we want to know you. We don't want you to just have lifted your hand and just leave and kind of go about your business, but we want to know you. I, I want to be one of your pastors, and, and we want to know you. We want to connect with you. So if you would, please, would you just go see one of the folks with the, with the red shirts out at the welcome desk so we can get connected. We'll call you this week. We want to connect with you, and we want to be your church family. But let's believe for restoration and unity in the families of God, in the family of God and in the nations of the world. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have